0: On this week's episode of Isolated But Not Alone, we are going to take a pause from discussing structural therapy, and we're going to focus in on an event that is occurring locally with several individuals, families, churches, missionary boards, which has brought to light the topic of grooming. And if you've never heard somebody use the word grooming outside of maybe grooming their hair or taking care of their beards, etc. Grooming is when someone builds a relationship with trust and emotional connection with a child or a young person so that they can manipulate them, exploit them, and abuse them. And I know that grooming is oftentimes used with Young people, children, minors. But grooming can really occur in lots of different environments with lots of different people. It does not matter necessarily your age. Though oftentimes we hear that word utilized when discussing children. And what I mean by that is grooming can occur to adults in situations where there is power dynamics at play. For example... There's such a thing as spiritual grooming. And as people start to focus in on some of the issues within evangelicalism, some of the things that we're noticing is that spiritual grooming has become a major problem in a lot of different churches. And I know some churches kind of get a lot of negative publicity, meaning that there are certain churches or denominations that stand out because unfortunately this has been such a huge, massive problem that the media has spent a lot of time divulging information about it. For example, the Catholic Church and the scandals with priests. But I would say that spiritual grooming occurs in a lot of different churches and denominations because there is a power differential there between spiritual leaders and their flock or the people that attend their churches. So spiritual grooming is a form of manipulation and control that takes place when someone has seeming authority over people that they attribute as God's authority over people. So today we're going to dive into this situation, and I hope you stay tuned because there's a lot of good information that might help protect you or your family from being the victim of spiritual grooming, and then maybe of spiritual abuse. Hi, this is James Raines, and you're listening to Isolated But Not Alone, a podcast that seeks to bring mental health awareness to rural and isolated communities. I just want to take this time to let you know that this and other content produced by James Raines is not therapy, and is not intended to be therapy or to replace therapy. Nothing in this podcast indicates or creates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek one in your area if you are experiencing any type of mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as specific life advice, and it is simply for the purpose of education. So this podcast is my attempt to discuss a personal matter, meaning that I have a personal connection with some of the folks that are involved in this, as well as some of my past history intersects with some of the past history of some of the people involved in this. So I just want to own that right off the bat. And to know that a lot of times I've been teaching and discussing facts about therapy, as well as some facts about other things that we've talked about in other episodes of the podcast. But one of the things that I wanted to do in this podcast is to advocate for the family and to advocate for mental health and mental health awareness in isolated or rural communities. And so this is something that's taking place in our isolated and rural community that has connections outside of our community in bigger and larger communities. But there's all this intersectionality between what's going on and my past history and local history, etc. And so with that being said, there's going to be a lot of passion behind this. And I'm opening myself up. I'm being vulnerable with my listeners, which is going to put me in a position where I am going to easily be attacked. And for what I've noticed about the situation that I'm going to describe to you here, in a lot of depth, is that when people do, there is attacking. There is spiritual attacking, there's over-spiritualization, there's hyper-spiritualization, there's anger, sadness. And so if you're listening to this, be prepared for that intensity coming out through me because this is a personal discussion. And understand that my goal is to advocate for the family and to advocate for mental health awareness. And know that some of the things we're going to talk about on these podcasts seek to disrupt or attack mental health. And grooming is one of those things. And when people hear grooming and they think about the definition I described earlier, where it's basically... Someone building a relationship based out of trust and emotional connection with a child, a young person, or somebody who's vulnerable so that they can manipulate, exploit, or abuse them. Nobody's going to have any issues with that. Nobody's going to have any issues saying, yeah, that doesn't sound good, that doesn't sound right, I don't want that to happen to my children. But oftentimes when our spirituality is connected in with that, it becomes very subtle. I was describing to a group of young people just the other evening about spiritual grooming and how to be aware of it. And one of the things that is a, tale, a telltale sign of grooming is secrets. Secrets. Don't tell anybody about this. This is just between you and I, which kind of ties into that trust being perverted. Into a tool that keeps people silent about something that's happening to them. And at the same time, shame is something that keeps us silent. And I'm gonna go on to discuss that in certain fundamental churches. And I wanna be very clear what I mean by fundamental, because there's gonna be people who are listening to this that go, oh yeah, I go to a fundamental church. And they don't necessarily relate to what I'm going to be talking about with churches that claim to be independent fundamental, maybe even militant churches that are in a way separatists from society, from government rules, from other people and evangelical Christianity that have a secret way or the right way or the better way for you to be better, more connected or more loved by God. And there's some spiritual perversion here that uses our own spirituality, which is a part of every human being, and it twists it and it corrupts it into a tool to manipulate and control us. So that's a little bit of a preface. (laughs) And I've I've already looked at the time here. I'm recording from home again, so if there's any weird background noises, I apologize ahead of time. But as I look at the clock, I see that we're almost at 10 minutes. I try to keep the podcast 20 minutes because... I want you to be able to listen to it on the way to work, and most people don't drive a really long distance to get to work. Zipping back and forth, maybe 10 minutes on the way, 10 minutes back. I want you to be able to listen to a full podcast, or maybe 20 minutes one way and 20 minutes back. So, this might have to be more than one podcast to talk about this topic. I'm going to talk about what I believe to be an example of spiritual abuse and grooming. Now, with that being said, I don't have all the answers. I don't even have all the facts. But I do have some facts. And the facts that I do have have caused me to ask questions. And those questions have led me to wonder if there hasn't been grooming. So, this all began when I got a series of photos showing a picture of a young woman with the caption of individual missing since and there was a date. And I kind of briefly glanced at the messages and saw that at some point in time, a mom and dad were sleeping early in the morning on the day of their daughter's 18th birthday. And one of them was awoken, I guess by a sound, Or and I'm kind of going back in my memory here. But the point being is, is that the mother woke up, went to her daughter's room, and there was another person in there who was basically helping the daughter to pack or at least assisting in that in some regard. And the parent was in shock. And it sounds like at some point the dad got up as well and went in. And the person who was helping this 18-year-old, who had just turned 18 that day, to pack, to leave the home was the wife of a pastor. And my understanding was that the pastor is there someplace when this is going on. I don't know if he's in the house, outside the house. Like I said, I don't have all the facts. But I do know this. The police were involved. They were called. And when they talked with the young woman, it sounded like she couldn't necessarily say why she wanted to leave, but she didn't want to stay at home any longer. And that she was going to be leaving with this pastor and his wife. And so, with that being said, I kind of want to focus in right here because this is a significant impact on the family, this intrusion in the early morning. And this is difficult. This is difficult stuff. If you're a parent and you're hearing this, you can imagine what this might have felt like. Maybe it's eliciting all kinds of different unpleasant emotions like fear, sadness, because at its very core, there's an intrusion of our safe place, to use a current colloquialism, a place where we should feel safe and secure in our homes, and yet there's this intrusion by a spiritual leader and his wife. And so the story kind of advances from there as the father of this teenage girl is explaining what happened and how she left and how they have not been able to make any actual physical contact with her since then and only have been able to get messages and text and things and Facebook updates from other family members of the pastor. And what I've noticed, even though I don't have social media, but people have been like connecting through me and showing me different things from social media is that every time somebody comments on the dad's post, every time somebody adds in something, a member of this pastor's family is like quick to like jump in and discuss or attack or defend the pastor or those who are saying things against him, which i find to be very very interesting as I'm curious the family dynamics there. Because even though I consider these folks my friends, having gone to school with them, in fact, I was with them at a banquet in September. And yet I would never be able to say I know them fully enough to know exactly what was going on in their home to make blanket statements to defend them. Though my gut tells me that I don't believe there's any abuse. I can't say honestly for sure if there is or is it because I don't know them that well, though I do know them, and that's what informs my perception that I do not believe there was. And that's kind of where I see this arrogancy that these family members are like jumping on board and like attacking people who say contrary to what's what they think happened and defending the actions of this pastor and his wife. And I don't like some of the phrases that they use. They make me uncomfortable, and I'm owning that. Right, They make me uncomfortable. For example, one of the phrases that one of these family members used in a social media post was, it was just a friend helping a friend. The reason why I don't like this is because we are talking about a power dynamic in place between a spiritual leader and a girl who just turned 18 that very day, which means they were not 18 the day before, if that makes sense. And with that being said, the power dynamic is is you have a spiritual leader or the wife of a spiritual leader. And in most evangelical churches, those are spiritual leaders together as a family unit, as a couple, referring to at what point would have been a 17-year-old girl and now as an 18-year-old girl as a friend. Now, I've worked in the ministry, and I would not refer to a teenage parishioner as a friend. That would make me feel extremely uncomfortable because of the boundaries that I would have as a spiritual leader between people in my congregation. Boundaries that are necessary to keep people safe. And pastors have boundaries about being good, good friends with some of their parishioners. Because you get into kind of ickiness. Within marriage and family therapy, there are very specific boundaries that therapists need to have between them and their clients. One of the most recognizable boundaries is therapists do not sleep with their clients. Therapists who do sleep with their clients lose their licensure for good reason because there is a power dynamic at play and there will always have been that power dynamic even if there's many years that have passed and the therapy relationship or the therapeutic relationship is over there's still that power dynamic at play. So I'm going to own a couple things and this is what I mean by I'm going to be vulnerable, which means I'm just going to open up about where I'm coming from. Right? It's kind of like I'm going to let down my shield and let everybody hit me with all the fiery darts they want while holding up their shield. Right? Because I think that a lot of times people get into these battles because they're not open and honest about the position in which they are coming from. So I'm just gonna own it. I have bias in this, meaning that I know the parents and I consider them friends. So already there's a bias there. Now they have not contacted me to tell me to do this or request that I do this. I'm doing it because I feel that it's important, but there's still a friendship there there's still a natural reaction from my knowing them to think the best about them and maybe to overlook things that might be problematic. So I own that right out of the gate. (laughs) Secondly, I own that this situation is personal and murky because of the connections I have through individuals that are connected to this in all kinds of unique (laughs) and interesting ways. For example going to the exact two places for schooling that this man went, now living close to where he originally came from to go to seminary, knowing individuals in the family, or at least knowing people who know them, and then knowing the family that this happened to, those are biases. They help inform my thinking and help me if I'm not careful and address those biases to choose a side without having all the facts. So I if you're thinking, if you're listening to this, and you're like, "Oh, he's chosen a side," don't think about it like that. Think about it like this: I have questions. I have questions based on my previous roles in ministry, as well as my position as somebody who works with families, because I want to advocate for the family. I have questions about the manner in which these things happened, because in my gut. Through my life experience, through my lens, I see the possibility of spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse. So, those are some things I'm going to own. Another thing I'm going to own is that I used to be part of independent fundamental groups that twisted and indoctrinated my young mind to be hurtful and harmful to other people while believing. In my heart, that I was doing something good to help these people or those people, to use that phrase that people do not like, because that was my mentality. I didn't trust myself. I trusted whatever the leadership or the people in power told me. But they didn't tell me as if it was coming from them personally. They told me as if it came from God Himself that God told them this, and therefore, you must believe this when a lot of times it came from them. So I'm going to own that, that part of what I do outside of my podcast is to advocate against or advocate for people who have been hurt by organizations that use their spirituality to control, manipulate, and to harm them. I've spent a lot of time creating awareness when I see it happening. So I own automatically that that creates suspicion in me when I see things that look like grooming and spiritual abuse. I'm sensitive to that. Does that mean I'm wrong when I see it? Does it mean that I create it when it's not there? Not necessarily. It does mean, however, that I look for it and sometimes I find it. And I own that. Because I want to own where I'm coming from so there could be no question as to why I'm doing and saying the things that I'm doing and saying. And I want to give good evidence for why I think, believe, and I'm saying these things. So that's all we have time for today. We're going to spend a couple more podcasts talking about this issue. Because recently, the father of this teenage girl put out a very heartfelt and passionate post Describing the events that led up to, and his impression and perception, and from his point of view, that led up to what actually happened recently. And I think it sheds a lot of light, not just on what happened, but the pain that this family is now experiencing. Because, in my opinion, this pastor, whether his intentions were good or not, wholesome or not, stepped outside of his lane to do something that may have destroyed this family based on what I do not know. Also, I'm going to spend some time talking about the missionary board that supports him and his wife and their church plant. Because some of what the father has said is that he has contacted them. And again, these are where some of this intersectionality comes in, is that I'm familiar with this board and I have connections in the past that were on the board and to address this father's heartfelt and passionate reaching out to this organization to figure out what is going on and can this be allowed to happen and what are you going to do to address it only to get minimal response which seems to indicate that they're going to do nothing So we're going to talk a little bit about that too we're going to talk about organizations that oftentimes shield or hide behavior that's inappropriate. And then unfortunately, because they shield and hide it, what they're really doing is they're not investigating what maybe the root causes of that issue are. And then because they shield and hide it, and I'm not saying because I don't have all the facts that that's what's happening here, but I know what's happened in other organizations, is if they shield and hide it, oftentimes the people who are perpetrating those things continue to do it because they have to hide and they can't get help. So we're going to dive into those things in our next podcast. So remember, you might be isolated, but you're not alone. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast enough to share it with friends and family and reach out with any questions you might have about mental health, and we will do our best in future shows to answer those questions. And remember, it might feel like you're isolated and maybe you are, but you're not alone.